0: Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. My name is Guy from Guy's Woodshop, and I'm joined by Hui Huen of Alabama Woodworker. Hey, Guy. Hey, Hui. And <laughs> Sean Walker of Simple Cove. Hey, Guy. Hey, Sean. <laughs> this podcast is intended to answer questions from the woodworking community and give you guys some of our perspective on how we get things done in our own shops. Just so you know, we do have a Patreon account. Right now, we have one level. And we're simply asking for a small donation just to try to cover the cost of bringing you this awesome podcast. So please go to patreon.com slash WoodshopLife. And I'd also like to say hello to some new patrons we have this time. Uh, Dean Aldinger at and he's got an Instagram here at Dean Creates Design Studio. Uh, Brody Bricky and Victor Voll. And uh, we sincerely hope that you'll give us your support. And also stay tuned to the end of the show to hear about what we've got going on in our own shops. So let's get into it. We, I believe you have the first question.
1: Okay, this question is from Ryan, and he's asking about router tables and shaper tables. I plan to do re- redo my kitchen cabinets and make shop cabinets so the shaper will be useful, but I find it's not as f- user-friendly as a router table seems to be. Which do you prefer, assuming you can only have one in the shop? maybe the first question and then i'd actually like to talk a little bit about uh shaper tables and router tables and kind of the differences but i i have a router table Uh, i have a router table that i built myself with a incra insert and a three and a quarter horsepower porter cable and i think for the most part i think all both of you guys do as well am i correct on that correct yep i have seen shaper tables a lot of shaper tables actually uh, available on like facebook marketplace and craigslist they're they're always they always seem to be available, but I think one of the main differences uh, between a shaper table and a router table are the cutter heads or the cutters. Am I correct on that as well?
0: That's one of the differences, sure.
1: Yeah, I believe that the cutters on a shaper table, again, because I don't own one, are quite an investment, whereas a router table is using router bits. Uh, A shaper table is using very specific bits uh, that sometimes can be uh, specifically manufactured for a door style, um, but also they're much bigger, much beefier and a shaper table because it is a a direct drive motor. No, it's not a direct, uh, it's a universal motor that is belt driven, has, tends to have more power uh, in the spindle than say a, a router. Correct?
0: It's not a universal motor. Universal motor is what you'd have on a router.
1: Correct. Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, I, but yeah, but yeah, yes, you're correct. It'll have, it'll have more power. It'll right. Much and it, higher.
2: What's that? It's like the same motor that you have in like your table saw. Yeah. Right. Right.
0: Is that not a universal? I thought that was a universal motor. Yeah. Universal motor is what you'd find in like an electric motor, the, uh, the uh, electric power tools.
1: Okay. Okay. My apologies like steam, then.
0: Like a, yeah, it's all right.
1: And the bits are go, they can be relatively large, right? I mean, so up to like, I guess, like three inches of in diameter or something like that.
0: Yeah, they're, some of them are pretty big.
1: I guess the reason why I got a router table was because it, it took router bits and they're relatively inexpensive to, uh, comparatively to Shaper bits, uh, yeah. to purchase.
2: And it seemed more approachable to me to take on a router table with the. It seemed less intimidating when I was starting woodworking to to go after a router table with just a simple small motor and Mm -hmm. not all these crazy fences. And, you know, I was green and plus it was cheaper. So, you know me, I'm going to go for the whatever's cheaper. And it's just as flexible, it seems, with uh, what you can do with a router versus a shaper. I'm sure there are things that, you know, a shaper can take off more in one pass and whatnot and probably do way larger bits. But for what Mm -hmm. I do, a router table is going to
1: take care of that. Yeah, and I imagine a shaper table. You're, I mean, I've seen shaper tables with uh, power feeders where uh, you know cabinet shops or or mill mill workshops are just feeding a ton of material through the through the shaper table. At significantly faster rates than maybe what you would be feeding through your router table.
0: Yeah, and that's that's really the main difference between the two. You know, as, as mm-hmm. you put it, you know, it's it's got a it's got a different motor, like the same kind of motor you'd find on a bandsaw or a table saw or a, a plane or whatever. And it's it's a it's much quieter, but mm-hmm. b it's more for production use. Mm-hmm. And mainly, what you're doing with the shaper is you're running things like molding, right. Um,
1: Power Some kind of bearing
0: on it, and you're 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 doing production work, right? right. So this thing is going for hours at a time, and you've got somebody standing there, you know, with a pattern, big pattern bit, hogging off tons of material to make this one part for this piece of furniture you're making fifty of, right? Um, right. That's really where a, sh- a shaper table shines. That'd be you'd be hard to do. It'd be hard to do that with a router table. Uh, however, you can get a uh, half inch collets for a shaper right and run router bits.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so
0: there is, there is that. And the, the other thing you can do with the router table at a shaper, you, you can do it a shaper table, but it doesn't really, some of the router tables, you know, like, you know, with, with like the incra or the, the, uh, woodpeckers where they've got fine tuning adjustments and things like that, you really don't have on the shaper. So you can do Mm -hmm. a lot more joinery Mm -hmm. on a router table. That'd be easier to do on a router table than it would be on a shaper. Mm -hmm. Um, Two completely different animals, but they're in the same barn. So if he's redoing
1: a kitchen, my guess is that he doesn't sound like to me But, you know, of course, we don't have enough information. But it doesn't sound like to me that he's planning on doing many kitchens after this. If it were me and I was just redoing my kitchen, I'd probably go relatively slow feeding it through the router table as opposed to getting going the route of a shaper table because I'm not doing production or I don't plan on doing production after the kitchen cabinets. That's what I would go with. And that's what I have gone with. My guess is that you guys are kind of the same or in the same boat. Yeah, Yeah, I am. I think, I think a router table is a little bit more versatile for the home shop, and it sounds like this is what he has based on the information that he's also uh, given us about the ty- type of tools that he has uh, in his shop, like a six-inch joiner, one-horsepower dust collector. So it, it sounds like a home shop, in which case, well, he does also have a 20-inch helical head planer, but it does just seem like he's very much into production. And I guess in this case, if he's just redoing one kitchen, then a router table will probably Uh, do them just fine just you know slowly feed the material through it might take a little bit of while but uh, he'll get through it so yeah i agree with you
0: yeah yeah the the the, like i said the shaper is a a completely different type animal and you know i know uh, a couple guys that don't have router tables they have they have shapers and they just have the the bits or the uh the collet that all take you know half inch and quarter inch Mm -hmm. router bits and you can do that too but Mm -hmm. you know it's they're, they're very close to the same thing. I just find that the, the fence on a router table, for me anyways, is a lot easier to use for some of the things that I do in my own shop. I don't use it just to run moldings. I do a lot of joinery on mine. My- mm-hmm.
1: And with a lot of those uh, joinery things that you're talking about, there's also a lot of accessories that are more specific to router tables than there would be for spin uh, shapers, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Well... I hope, uh, Ryan, that helps answer your question in terms of what you might consider more about getting in your shop. So, Sean, I think you've got the next question. All right. This is from Brad. Hey,
2: guys. Love the podcast. My question is about completing smaller projects versus bigger, more time-consuming projects. As I've progressed in this hobby, I'm enjoying a nice, longer, more involved projects, but was curious how you balance this in your own shop, Brad. Um, this is a good question, and... It it's relevant for me in my shop now because I like to take on larger projects. Um, it gives me more opportunities for skill building tasks throughout the project, such as, you know, doing some special joinery that I'm not done before, uh, some veneering or some curb features, uh, just as a few examples. You know, the larger projects are more important to me because they become part of my home and they're going to get used every day. Uh, and the large projects serve a purpose, which goes back to what I just said, like a dining table, uh, it's going to be used to eat, be eaten on and an end table will hold stuff. And there are lots of other examples. And I just, uh, think that a larger, I get a larger feeling of accomplishment for building, a, um, you know, the, the larger projects, but I will say, uh, there, there's just something relaxing about a smaller project. Um, It's the quick wins that, you know, help boost my attitude since the larger projects take me months, you know, I'm out in the shop, maybe a few hours, uh, an entire week and doing a larger project will take me Mm -hmm. three, four months. I mean, the little shaker cabinet that I built took me probably was, it took me probably about one month to build. And it's just a basic, basic shaker cabinet. Granted, I do record this stuff and that, that doubles the, uh, the, the time that it takes. Uh, that it would take me without filming it. Um, so the smaller projects are, are a quick win for me. And since the, the required board feet are small on these smaller projects, I get to use nicer woods like, you know, either exotics or the, some of the figure domestics. So I definitely think that the smaller projects are very important for me and my shop <laughs> psychologically, if anything, uh, just to help, you know, boost my attitude in the shop. And, uh, just to give me a break mentally in between these larger projects of calculating board feet, figuring out this, uh, trying to move stuff around in the shop to make room. Sometimes you just got to go for the smaller projects. And, um, I think they're extremely important as well. How do you guys handle, what do you prefer? And then, uh, how often do you go to the smaller projects?
0: I do both. I, I guess I do maybe two or three large projects a year and, but I do a bunch of smaller things mainly because the same things you mentioned, Sean, it's the it's the quick wins. You know, I make a lot of boxes. None of them are very complicated or anything. It's just I just find it relaxing to go out there in the shop and just make something, for and it only takes me a day or two to make it instead of, you know, two months, like you said. Yeah. That being said, I do enjoy... Some of the aspects of the more time, not necessarily more time consuming projects, but the more difficult projects, ones Mm. that make me think, because sometimes you just get into autopilot mode Mm -hmm. when you're in the shop. And if there's things that are requiring you to think, you know, especially when you're doing a lot of uh, work with curves and veneer and things like that, you really have to think ahead of what you're doing. Uh, to make sure that you're able to do what you what what you have you know put on paper. So whatever for, for what that's worth. We, what about you?
1: Oh, I do mainly the larger projects, but I need to start doing some more smaller projects because it's the larger projects are beating me up and morally. <laughs> um, they just take a long time and and you know they're very involved. They take a lot of thinking, which I love to do. Uh, but I, I need I need something for those quick wins uh, to build up my morale and just to kind of keep me keep me occupied, keep it moving along so I don't get bored. Uh, a lot of times, a longer project, at least for me, because you know, I have limited time in the shop, I tend to get uh, I tend to get bored about uh, three quarters of the way through and want to move on to a new project. I'm always like searching for that next project. So, you know, I need to take you know, y'all's advice and start actually doing some of these small, smaller projects, you know, these keepsake boxes and, and some of the CNC work, Sean, that you've been doing with the plaques and whatnot. I mean, that sounds like a lot of fun because you get, you get those quick wins in the shop, you know, but I, I just haven't done Absolutely. a lot of small proge- projects and I, I really, I really should. So the, yeah, small projects should have them.
2: And when you get your CNC machine, I mean, that's gonna just suck all of your time out of the shop and so yeah you'll have plenty of opportunity to do these small projects coming up pretty soon (laughs) all right that's uh hopefully that helps brad uh guy what do you have for us
0: this question comes from alan and he's asking what do you guys use for air filtration and what are the aspects you considered when picking the system you use can a box fan with an air filter be a reasonable option My situation, in case you offer specific suggestions, I'm in a large two-car garage, shop on one side and a wife's car on the other, Alan. I feel your pain about having your wife's car on the other side, Alan. What I use in my shop for air filtration, I have one of those uh, hanging air filters. Uh, Mine's a jet. It's about 20 years old. And when I bought it, it was... Pretty much the only game in town at that point. There weren't a lot of options in uh, 1997. So it's actually 23 years old now. It was one of the few out there. And <laughs> that was the only aspect I considered when making that, that purchase, is that it was available. It still works, and it does a great job. And, you know, you are asking if a box fan with an air filter... Yes, that will work, but it, it it's not going to have the turnover of air, right? In the in the in the shop that you're going to get with uh, one of the larger air filtration systems, and there's all different types in uh, CFM on those air filters too. Some of them are very cheap, but they're cheap because they don't move much more air than a box fan with an air filter. Mm-hmm. Uh, a decent one that's going to move over, you know, the, the the air in your shop. I can't remember what the the formula would be, but I think it's you want to have it at least once or twice an hour, mm-hmm. where it turns over the volume of air in your shop. You're not going to get that with a box fan, so mm-hmm. that's really what you need to take in consideration. What do you, what do you use, Wee?
1: So I used to have a very similar ambient air filter that was hanging overhead. And full disclosure, Axiom actually sent me their Stratus Pro, which is their revolutionary ambient air filter. Uh, And the way that one works, so where some of these air filters are going, I think Powermatic makes one too, is that it's actually sitting closer to the floor and, and circulates the air from the ground and then pulls the air from the ground and then shoots clean air up into the, up towards the ceiling around, you know, so you know, up by your face. Uh, it works really well. It is expensive. Uh, I think they start at $500. Uh, so it's not a cheap model. The, there are the hanging ambient air filters and that actually works pretty well as well. Uh, and again, like you said, Guy, the important thing is, is getting that air turnover and, and circulating all the air in your shop. Just like you said, the box fans just not going to the box fans just not going to circulate that much air a, a, as well as like the ambient air filters. And especially clean, cleaning the air filters is another thing. Uh, I believe a lot of the ambient air filters have ones that can be that are replaceable. Uh, I guess you could get not replaceable. Excuse me. Clean. You can clean them. Uh, I guess you could probably get a very similar filter for a box fan. But, uh, you know, it's going to be some form of jerry rigged thing where you're using either um, like uh, bungee cords or or rubber bands or whatever to strap it on there. And I guess for me, it doesn't necessarily look very good. Uh, having something uh, up on the ceiling is nice. These other ambient air filters that are coming out, that are sitting on the floor. You know, the negative behind that is that they sit on the floor and they take up floor space. You know, they don't take up that much, but. You know, just just something to consider. Those are kind of the options that are out there now. Um, I've been using this Stratus uh, because it was given to me from Axiom to test out and to use. Um, I'm not a product tester, so I don't really you know, know what to say about it other than, you know, it works well it, and it circulates a whole heck of a lot of air. And that's about all I can say about it. So, Sean, what do you got going on? What, do you use an ambient air filter?
2: No, I do not it's just something that I've not picked up that I probably should. Um, especially because I have a mini split, so I need to keep it clean. I currently don't mm-hmm. have anything. I will be putting something in this year. I just got to figure out what I want to buy. Um, mm-hmm. I would prefer to hang it on the ceiling because I don't have a lot of floor space.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: However, um, back to Alan, who was asking about a box fan and whatever. So it sounds like he may have uh, floor space. And if he does, I would point you over to look at, uh, Jay Bates did a mobile air cleaner cart um, and one of his old videos, he actually used to store his uh, lunchbox planer on top of it. So you have, if you have the room, you know, you can set a tool on top of it and mm-hmm. make it a multi-purpose cart. But apparently he's done tests and he has the, the little, uh, the little reader that tells you the quality of air in your shop. And it does a fantastic job of cleaning out his shop. And I think even his newer, larger shop um, but it uses, uh, what is it called? An old, um, furnace blower com- motor.
1: Yeah. HVAC impeller. Bro-
2: yeah. It's remote.
0: not using a box fan. It's, it's using a big, thing. huge. No, it's
2: not using a box fan at all. No, yeah,
0: I've seen that thing. I mean, it'll, it'll knock you over. It's moving so much air.
2: Yeah. But I, I guess what I was, when I was referring to him saying a box fan, I mean, if he has floor space, then this may be a possibility for him yeah. because apparently it works really well. And he's using, you know, just some air filters that he picks up at, you know, that we use in your, um, in your house for this, uh, mobile air cart and it, in an air cleaner cart. And it does a fantastic job. Uh, according to Jay, I've not built one, but you know, he says it does a great job. I would definitely believe what he says. So definitely check that out. I'll put a link to this, uh, the Jay Bates mobile air cleaner in the show notes for you to check out.
0: Let me put it this way. A box fan with an air filter may not be ideal, but it's better than nothing. Yep. And if you keep that near where you're working, let's say, you know, on your bench or something like that, where you're mm-hmm. creating the dust, especially when you're like sanding, mm-hmm. it'll help quite a bit. Yep. So it won't be as good as, you know, some of the other uh, options we discussed that are, you know, four or $500 or building this big thing. It's still better than nothing. And, I, I, and if you're worried about that dust, you know, the fine particles, I'd probably recommend at least doing that in the meantime. For sure. Because it will cut down on quite a bit of of dust in the shop. All right. I think it's going to go back to we.
1: Okay. So this question is from somebody who didn't put in their name. So I don't know who this is from particularly, uh, but uh, it reads, Hi, guys. I love the podcast. I strangely found out about you all through Dan Harmon's creator of Rick and Morty's Instagram. He's recently started woodworking and was listening to you all in one of his stories. Getting back to my question, I want to start veneering a bit more and need a vacuum bag system. What should I get? I have no set budget for this. Oh, it's Jonathan Steyer. Okay. I have no set budget for... Thanks, Sean. I have no set budget for this. I just want something that works. Thanks for the advice. Well, if money is no object, (laughs) I think a great... I think a great starter system actually is uh, one that I started with, which is uh, from Vacupress. Press. They have I think the 150. And I think the 150 is is a 1.5 cfm system. You can get a bag on sale from Veneer Supplies. Uh, you might have to check the fitting on that. So that he has he has sales all the time uh, where you can get like a, a four by four bag for like I think like. 75 bucks or something like that. And it's a polyurethane, not a polyurethane. It is a a, vinyl vinyl bag, vinyl bag. Yeah. Now the difference between the polyurethane bags and the vinyl bags is that the polyurethane bag is a lot stronger. So it's going to last a lot longer. And the 150 is 1.5 CFM. That's probably the limit at which you could probably extract enough air out of like a four by four bag fast enough. If it doesn't evacuate air fast enough, you can always use a shop vac. If the 1.5, if you want to go up from like a 1.5 CFM system, the 300 is also sold by Press, And both of those systems are relatively affordable when it comes to pumps. And if you want to go higher than that, they have a pro system. And Guy, you have the pro system. I don't know anything about it other than the fact that it extracts a whole lot more. I think it's like 6 CFM. Am I correct?
0: Yeah, it's a 6 CFM system.
1: But, you know, if money's no object, you know, those are the three options. So you could go you could go big or go home and or you could go like kind of a little more starter starter area and kind of save your money and invest it maybe in a nicer bag like a polyurethane bag. That's probably where I would go. I probably go with a 1.5 or a 3 CFM pump from Press. And, you know, if I had a little extra money, I'd go with a nicer bag because uh, I, I don't want to repair a vinyl bag. So. How about you, Guy? I know you're really big into veneering, and, and you've done it a lot longer than I have. <laughs>
0: I've got I've got nothing but vinyl bags, simply because I don't see the real value in the polyurethane at you know, two to three times the cost. Mm-hmm. Over the years that I've been using those, I think I may have patched like three holes in the vinyl bags. It's not a big deal, uh, and they're infinitely less expensive.
1: I guess you have to be a pretty heavy user to really make a polyurethane bag worth your while, huh? Yeah.
0: And it's, it's very, it, they're, they're really expensive, you know, if, if, and I don't know the prices off the top of my head, but you know, I think they're two to three times the money yeah. that they are in the vinyl bags. Anyways, unless you're doing very large veneered panels, uh, a 1.5 or a three, a three will do basically everything you need a pump to do. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of options. I've used in my time three different systems the first one used a uh, air compressor with a venturi mm-hmm. the second one I built with a reconditioned pump, which I think you have Sean correct yes I do and that's a three CFM system and I think I put that thing together for like two hundred bucks or two fifty maybe and it's it worked really well I mean it did everything I needed to do and that was bought with uh a reconditioned pump. They sell at veneersupplies and they sell a big bag of fittings, and they have instructions on how to put the thing together, mm-hmm. and it's not too difficult, and it worked great. I mean, mm-hmm. it really worked well. The only reason I went to the vacuum press was because of of, of, of a sponsorship deal with them, and it worked fine. And I had a, a larger bag with it, and it did pretty much everything I needed it to do. But uh, uh, again. A three CFM bag will do, you know, the larger bags, you know, like a four by eight, not a problem. It just takes a little bit longer. If you don't think you need to do anything that large, a 1.5 will do a four by four really easy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I'd be doing bent laminations with a 1.5 simply because it doesn't extract the air quick enough, I wouldn't think. No. But once once the air is removed from the bag, atmospheric pressure is atmospheric pressure. Right. doesn't matter how many CFM the the pump is so.
1: I used a 4x4 four four with the 1.5 and it, it, and it worked perfectly fine it was a little slow I, I I did do one bent lamination with it when I did my bent lamination for from the dining table I used the 1.5 but I did the little trick where you put the shot back up and you, you extract all the air in the thing and you know let the pump go you know so
0: size yeah. what size bag do you have with that that three four CFM Sean,
2: I have a four by four vinyl bag, but uh, to be honest with you, I would really like to get a two by four bag. I find that I would probably get by with the majority of what I do with the two by four Mm -hmm. bag. Um, But yeah, I have the four by four, which obviously works with everything, Uh, and it is vinyl, and I got all that from Veneer Supplies, and they have um, you know how to articles and PDFs that you can download uh, to build uh, the one that. I bought from Guy, so definitely uh, check that out if you're wanting to make your own.
0: Yeah. yeah, veneersupplies.com is a great resource. They've got not only stuff there, but they've got you know all kinds of tutorials on how to build that stuff and how to use it. That's a really good uh, repository for all things veneering. And they sell uh, veneer. Yeah, plus you can buy veneer there. Yeah,
1: for sure. He runs he runs sales all the time. Yeah. Free shipping, sales all the time.
0: I just wish he took PayPal. <laughs> it's the only thing. Don't
2: do what I did. If you buy one of their four by four bags, they come with the, uh, that little, what is it called? The little clip that on that goes on the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it called? The bag closure, whatever. Don't th- they come with the bag. Don't buy those separate. So I've now got one that stays in the corner of my shop because I don't need it. Oh, the C channel. Yeah. Yeah, C-chan. you never,
0: you never, you never know when that closure is going to go bad, Sean. Well,
2: that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I've been counting down the days, and so far it's been two years and still hasn't failed. So, yeah. one of these days I'll get to use it.
0: Yeah. yeah, I've actually got my my vacuum pump at work now. I've been using it there for a couple projects, and uh, mm-hmm. I've got the the full full bag rolled out. And, what uh, What are you running on now? Table.
1: Is it a Is it a five by ten?
0: I think the bag is the bag is five by nine, okay. maybe, hmm. something like that. It, it, I've got a, a four by eight sheet of melamine in there right now with a grid and all that, mm-hmm. and uh, it's just occupies a whole table, a work table at work. So uh, that's where it's staying for the time being. Hmm. So,
1: you you split that platinum in half, right, so that it's easier to no, it's
0: a This is a full four by eight sheet of, this is I said. It's at work right now. Gotcha. So I have a, a, they gave me a dedicated table, which is a four by 10 table that it sits on. So I put a a full sheet in there and we're, we're playing around with it. And I'm trying to show them how we can use that in our, in our shop to start selling some higher end stuff out of our, out of work. So uh,
1: nice. All right, Sean, I
2: think you've got the next question, buddy. All right, this is from Brent Jarvis, Clean Cut Woodworking. I don't even no know who that guy is. more questions from Brent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: just kidding. You know, I'm, I'm yeah,
2: i have not seen him on Instagram. I don't know what what's happened to him. So um, hopefully he's still on there. But this is from Brent. Wanted to see how y'all manage your machines maintenance-wise. Do you have a schedule for doing certain maintenance or just do it as needed? This includes things like rigging them, cleaning them, and lubing the moving parts. Second part is what type of dry lube Would you recommend for the moving parts like the table saw lift and the tilt mechanism? Uh, Let's see. Um, As always, thank you for your time. And please keep up the absolutely wonderful work y'all are doing on the podcast and your shops. Information y'all share is always spot on. Thanks, Brent. Appreciate that. Um, Let's see. I like to do a deep cleaning about every six months. Now, keep that in mind or keep in mind, rather, I'm not a typical woodworker. I'm not out there every day multiple hours every day. I'm out there a few hours a week. So obviously if you use your tools more, you're going to have to adjust that number accordingly. Uh, But six months is about how often I get out there to do a deep cleaning on the tools. I'll still do the in-between projects, waxing of surfaces. But uh, first of all, I'll clean the table saw blade, miter saw blade, and all of the bits that I use. Um, I will use the CMT bit and blade cleaner. Uh, for the blades, the 10 inch blade, I'll just use the, uh, the lid off of a five gallon bucket, stick the blade in there, spray the stuff on, um, let it soak for about five to 10 minutes. And then I'll hit the teeth using a nylon brush uh, or toothbrush or something like that. Uh, and then I'll wipe everything off with a cotton rag. Same thing goes for the router bits, spray them, put them in a little cup, spray them, let Hmm. them soak, wipe them off. And we're good to go. Uh, let's see. Oh, also. Don't forget if you have a Festool domino, those are bits too. You got to clean those as well. So just throw them in the cup, not literally, but put them in the cup, let them soak, wipe them off and then put them back in your, uh, your domino. And, uh, while you have your domino apart, don't forget to check all the little, uh, the little areas that will touch and rub and all that stuff and maybe put some WD-40 on that or not Mm WD-40, but, um, some three-in-one oil or some light machine oil or something like that. Keep everything clean and lubed. Mm-hmm. Uh table saw cleaning. Um now I'll begin cleaning the table saw by using some sort of compressed air to blow out all the hard to reach areas with the machine or dust collection on that way it'll collect the majority of it. Um and then I'll vacuum out the cabinet for the areas that just uh, won't escape the uh the DC or that does escape the DC rather. I do have a nice little pile that builds up in the bottom that I'll have to vacuum out. And uh, one of the questions that Brent did ask us is about what we use to lubricate the moving parts, like the table saw lift and tilt mechanism. And after I clean everything, I do spray some of that WD-40 dry lube on all the the gears mm. and stuff. I'm not sure if that's the best product, but that does work well for me. And
1: before I answer the rest of this, uh, do you guys use any any different type of dry lube for your machines? I use DynaGlide, and the only reason why I use DynaGlide is because when I ordered my micro fence edge guide. It came with a, a bottle of that stuff and I've been using it ever since. It goes a really, really long way, but yeah, you know, it's, it's expensive. It's about $20 a bottle, but it goes a long way. Um, Again, it came with the micro fence, but if I had to probably buy a bottle of stuff, I'd probably go with the WD40 dry lube that like, like what you use, Sean, because it's at the big box store and it's available. So
2: guy, do you use anything different than what we mentioned?
0: I have never, ever, ever lubricated the table saw lift and tilt mechanism in any of my saws. So All right. I, can't, I cannot answer that question. I, I, I'm i sure there's certain kinds of grease that have to be used. But until there's some kind of issue where it doesn't work right, I, I, I clean them, you know, just by getting the dirt off of them. But yeah. I, don't, I don't lube it. I've, I've never lubed anything.
2: Yeah, well, I came from a, a Craftsman two two one two four hybrid saw, and I had to spray that thing probably every other week. It was just a massive piece of crap, and um, <laughs> the dry lube definitely, definitely helped. I've not had to hit it on the uh, saw stop. I think I did spray it once. I don't know if it was needed or not. So, but if I do need to use it, uh, WD forty dry lube is definitely what I what I use. Um, so, anyways that's the table. saw. next I hit the router table, remove all the dust. And I, again, pay attention to cleaning the router lift because there's all that chips and dust is going to fall down in the cabinet. So that's going to get dirty fast. So clean those out. And if you need to use any dry lube, again, spritz a little WD-40. If you do spray it in there, be careful because you got your router right next to it, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then finally I clean all the cast iron surfaces. I hit it with some WD-40, wipe it off. And then I hit it with some paste wax, on the table saw router top router table top joiner planer combo anything that's cast iron and obviously if i still had it i would hit the bandsaw as well but i don't so um that's pretty much what i do um to clean my shop what about you guys is there anything that you all do different than uh what i what i mentioned um to clean your
1: tools dang sean (laughs) you do a lot (laughs) I'll tell you what mm-hmm. I do. I take a leaf blower and <laughs> go to my shop and blow everything out. Uh, the only other thing is that uh, I use mineral spirits on my on my cast iron surfaces, and then and then spritz them with some bow shields, uh, particularly when the seasons change over in Alabama because it gets so very humid during the summers, and then you know it goes back to being uh, quite dry during the winters. And that that's about it. I just spritz it with. Uh, some, or I just wipe it down with some mineral spirits and then spritz it with some bow shields to kind of, you know, penetrate into the cast iron and keep it from rusting. But other than that, man, you do a whole heck of a lot more than I do. Oh, I, yeah. I, I clean, I clean the, uh, the tilt mechanism, you know, cause sometimes that gets gunked up with stuff and then, you know, I'll hit it with a little bit of dry lube, but man, you got a regiment, I, dude. <laughs> look,
2: I, I just vacuum up the dust and clean cast iron. If you break break down what I just said, <laughs> no,
1: I, it sounded a lot more involved than that, my friend. I think no, I no, just no, talked cool. too
2: long.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're about about maintenance, I mean, I, I you know I regularly clean my shop because I, I don't like crap everywhere, so I tend to you know just brush my tabletops off and mm-hmm. the, I don't have real humidity problems here, even in the summertime where I'm getting rust on anything. So unless I, you know, get a beat of sweat or something, or I'm stupid enough to set up uh, a soda can down on the tabletop. So I, I don't, I don't really have to deal with any type of surface rust every now, maybe a couple times a year. I put a couple three times a year. I may, you know, clean it off and re-wax them. I put wax on the tables quite often, maybe, Maybe once a month, or if I feel friction on something. But the only thing I really do on schedule is my—I send my blade off to be sharpened once a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's it. That's the only thing I do on schedule. Yeah. Let me
2: ask y'all something. Hui, have you noticed about your your saw stop? The top scratches
1: so easily. Have you noticed that? Not particularly but i'm i might not be paying attention that closely i don't it, know i haven't really noticed my top it.
2: looks terrible like it looks like i just took something sharp and just scratched the whole freaking top it, it looks pretty rough so um, no my top doesn't look like that <laughs> yeah mine, mine does so uh any recommendations from you two on how to remove light scratches i mean obviously hit it with some sort of light super super fine abrasive and then
0: no, you Clean can it. actually take sandpaper to your, your cast iron top,
2: Sean. What what grit would you recommend?
0: Whatever grit you want to use to get those scratches out of there. I mean, I've used, in the past, I've used as high or as low as like 180. Huh. But, you know, like a 220 or a 320 would be fine.
2: Yeah, I need to because it looks terrible. I mean, it's not affecting anything. It's just it looks awful.
0: Yeah.
1: No, I don't have scratches like that. You've talked with others and they haven't too? Yeah, on
2: their Jeez. saw I'll stop. Yeah, I mean, it's scratches. It, it looks like uh, I neglect my, my top. It looks terrible. Oof. And obviously I don't, but.
0: You know, the only yeah. thing on, my, on t- the top of my saw that really sticks out like a sore thumb is where I've I've plunged the uh, track saw into the top. Ooh, ooh! I've got a couple nice nice nicks in there from that.
1: How's that blade?
0: <laughs> How replaced, was that blade <laughs> replaced? So, but um, yeah, you can you can sand those cast iron tops and just make sure that you you know put down a layer you know clean it afterwards with mineral spirits and then put some I just use you know regular old Johnson's pace wax on yeah. top of mine. I do use that bow shield stuff mostly on like the fences and things like that not on the steel itself or on the iron. Okay. But uh, I, I really don't have a, a regimen or a scheduled thing. You know, there's it, it, it's just I fix stuff and clean stuff as needed. I mean, if I don't use something for six months, I'm not going to clean the damn thing. Yeah. I'm not going to do any type of maintenance on it.
2: Oh, ab- absolutely. If there's nothing to clean, you can't clean it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. If there's no reason to... to I mean, if you're, if your joiner is working perfectly well, don't mess with it.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, give it a light cleaning and get the dust off of it and put some wax on it and say, thank you. And keep using <laughs> it that way. Yeah. Especially you know, our and, joiners. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't want to make any adjustments on those, but yeah, I'm, I'm a, if, if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of guy when it comes yeah. to stuff like that.
2: For sure. Yeah, but if but if it is dirty, clean it.
0: Yes. Yes. So is that it? Are we done?
1: No, we got your well, question. You got, you well, you got I mean more.
0: that question, yeah. I oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> so this question is from Tank. And he says, hey, guys, I want to make a white oak chest table, but I've never done veneer work. At first I thought I could make it on solid wood, but now I realize that it won't be possible due to wood movement. I don't own a resaw capacity bandsaw, vacuum press, or drum sander, so not sure where to start. I assume store-bought veneer, no idea where to go from there. Thanks so much, love the podcast tank. Well, in the first part of your question, you say I could not make it out of solid wood. I don't know if I'd necessarily agree with that. You couldn't make it out of three-quarter inch solid wood. But mm-hmm. even if you have a table saw that can cut, I mean a standard chessboard, the squares are two inches. I think a regulation is two inches. And if you've got a regular table saw, I mean you can cut eighth inch, 16th inch wood on that and mm-hmm. resaw it yourself with a, with a table saw. that would be wide enough to do it. Mm-hmm. And especially if it was down to a 16, 16, but even an eighth of an inch, as long as you kept all the grain going in the same direction, it's really not going to move that all that much mm-hmm. because of the thickness. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, as far as veneering it, I just did several of these tables. I actually built some, the reason I took these questions, I built uh, some chess tables and also some backgammon tables out of veneer. Mm-hmm. And um, that was just simply using, you know, Store-bought, commercially available, 42nd of an inch maple and, and walnut veneer. And I just cut the squares out and taped them together and put them in a vac bag. Now, if you don't have a vac bag, I have a video on my YouTube channel, Guys Would Shop. <laughs> and I actually talk about how there's a, a special video that, that, that's called How to Veneer Without a Vac Bag. And explains how to make a set of calls and how to use uh, clamps to press with veneer. And that's what I did for years until I, you know, I had bought a vacuum bag about five years ago. So it can be done. You don't need a drum sander. You don't need a, a bandsaw. You don't need a vacuum bag. You can do a star-bought veneer, a sharp utility knife, a couple Forms to cut the two-inch squares, some veneer tape, and some melamine and clamps, and mm-hmm. you're golden.
1: Yeah, mostly consumables, mostly consumables. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's 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 really not the different. It's just tedious more than anything else. Sure. Have you guys ever made a, a chess chest table or done anything like that before?
1: Never made a chest table, but I made some small panels, and rather than bust out the vacuum bag, I just made clamping calls and you know attached a whole bunch of clamps, and I imagine. You know, it wasn't what what he's looking to make wasn't much bigger than the the small, you know, door panels that I was making. So I think it's more than he should be more than capable of doing that with clamping calls and the consumables that you talked about. How about you, Sean? Have you made any like chess tables or checker tables, backgammon tables? No,
2: I have not. But I would. uh, Another option is to look at the uh, the heat lock veneer glue if you want to use an iron. Um, if you're just doing a small tabletop or something like that, that's another option. Or was it you guy that made a video or is it somebody else on how to make pretty much how to make your own type of heat lock where you put a uh, yellow glue on it, let it dry, then iron
0: it on. Was that you? Yeah. I've, I've talked about it before. You know, the thing is when you're doing something like this with a, with a chessboard, I don't know if I'd recommend doing that, especially with <laughs> different species of wood. Cause they, cause when you put that iron on there, it can heat up and change things mm. quite a bit. I can, mean, as far as the, uh, one piece of wood shrinking more than the other. Okay.
2: Well, I guess I've, I was confused and I wasn't now. sure. Can you buy a store-bought veneer? Oh, okay. All right. I guess I was confused. I thought he was like making a table and he was veneering it out of oak. I do not like what exactly is he doing because he's talking just about white oak. Is he trying to make the chess board or a chess like the the checkered part of the the table? I guess I'm confused because he only mentions white oak.
0: Yeah, I'm assuming he's talking about the chess. Yeah. Board itself
2: because he mentions just white oak. So i um, Yeah. Is he going to do like alternating cranes of white oak? <laughs> st- yeah, or is he
1: staining? Yeah. No, I, I, well, so, I think
0: he's talking. Well, he's going to make a chess table, but the bulk of it's going to be made out of white oak, and then the, the, the yeah. chest table itself is. Gonna so be that's what I took staining. from that.
2: That's what I assumed, and because he says store bought veneer, so in white oak. So if he's doing, yeah, I'm not talking about using the heat lock glue on the top on the board itself, but on the rest of the table if it's flat surfaces, oh, okay. then mm, okay. yeah. Okay. So I, okay. I guess I don't understand from the lack of information in that question what he's yeah. what he's trying to accomplish.
0: I think he's I think he's talking about using veneer to make the actual chessboard. Yeah. Because okay. you don't want to make a chessboard out of solid wood because it'll it'll explode any frame you put around it mm-hmm. because of expansion and contraction.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there there are ways to do that with cutting the grooves and all that stuff, but it sounds like he's wanting to yeah. go a different yeah. route. Yeah. Okay. Well, then no. Um, that's the only other way that I can think of is what you all said. If you're trying to make the actual chess board and, uh, yeah, you're right. I would definitely wouldn't introduce any heat to that. I thought you were talking about the other, the rest of the table, yeah. but yeah, no, that that's what I would recommend as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I actually had a, a heck of a time making those chess tables. Um, most of the backgammon boards were, were difficult. They all the, 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 the different back end points had to be inlaid into the veneer so to speak it all had to be cut out i don't know if that's marquetry or parquetry. i still don't know that people keep telling the difference but i forget. so but it's kind of like that it was it was a little, it was challenging but a lot of fun doing it the tables came out nice so
1: yeah they um, do look very nice
2: very nice just call it architry and just hope that no one catches it
0: <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so I think that's it for the questions. Am I correct? That is it. That right. is so, it. Let's talk about what's going on in the shop. We, what do you got going on in the shop?
1: I built the cabinet boxes and all the drawers for the CNC table that I'm making. I wanted to make sure that I had storage underneath because there's a lot of open space underneath that steel frame that I built. I also, in the while I was doing that, I also built a couple other drawer boxes for some of the other work surfaces that I have. I've got some of, some of these like butcher blocks, work surfaces. And then I think also my old uh, scroll saw uh, doesn't have any cabinetry underneath the table of the scroll saw itself. So I went ahead and just built uh, those cabinet boxes and drawers. And uh, of course I get in the middle of installing or about to install the drawer slides and I'm, counting all the drawer slides and I miscalculated how many drawer slides I needed. And, uh, unfortunately I didn't buy enough. So I, uh, I had to stop and I'm waiting for more drawer slides to come in so I can go ahead and finish that. Uh, but that's what I've got going on and I'm happy that's almost done and finished. And hopefully the, uh, CNC table should be coming in pretty close to the, well, it is the end of the month uh, beginning of March. So looking forward to that. Yeah. How about you, Sean? What do you got going on, man? Oh,
2: let's see. Um, I went during the week and picked up some eight quarter cherry. I've got two 12 foot long boards, roughly nine inches wide. I've got that setting in the shop. I'm going to be starting on a cherry side table for my sister and her family. Um, So other than that, I went this weekend, I was using uh, or made a door for my CNC cabinet to fix a warped door that was on there that's been bugging the crap out of me. And I used a nice OG pattern rail and style kit from Whiteside. It's the Astro Coated. Uh, I gave that a uh, uh, a run this uh, this weekend. And man, using those bits was just amazing. They, they came out perfect. The cut is really, really clean. I like the profile. I don't have the raised panel bit yet, but um, the rail and style kit, I mean, it's super easy to set up. Um mm-hmm. And it just, uh, produced really, really nice results. And I'm extremely happy with it. I do need to buy a door, um, the hinge because I broke one of the uh, bottom hinges trying to replace that, that door. So I got to wait on that to finish up that job. But other than that, I'm going to be starting the design of the hall table this week and probably going to start it this weekend. Nice. So looking forward to that. Nice. uh that's all I got going on. What about you guy?
0: Uh, I just started a new project yesterday in my shop, which was which is a kitchen island, which is something I hadn't planned on making right away, but you know, it's got to be done now. So I started that, and it's going to be made out of white oak and white oak plywood, and I got the legs done today, which was interesting. I've done something like this before once where they're, they're – They're two-inch thick legs, but they have to be hollow Mm because i got to run electrical up one of them, maybe two of them. So I kind of made like a four-sided thing, and then there's rabbits that each side sits into, and you can't really tell that they're laminated together. Mm -hmm. It looks solid. They came out pretty nice.
1: But you have Um, nice straight grain on all four sides. I like that.
0: Yeah, it's it's all pretty much all riffs on. Anyways, that would have happened, but I couldn't get, you know, eight quarter riffs on is the thing because I want them to be two inches thick. Otherwise, I'd have to laminate them together. I don't want. I don't like the look of laminated legs. And you know, something for the shop that's fine, but something would you know in, in my kitchen, I really didn't want that. So, uh, but yeah, there's real nice straight grain on all four sides. And then I at work. I'm still working on that large four by eight uh, table, In the base. I did uh, these this kind of thing where it kind of, I, somebody said it looks like the Under Armour logo. <laughs> I guess I guess it does. I never noticed it, where the legs are like two intersecting semicircles mm-hmm. that I used uh, some bent lamination. They came out pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm still working on that. I should be done by the end of the week with that table. So I'll get some pictures on Instagram of that. Was
1: that That's just a half that. lap on the on the two circle halves?
0: Uh, let's call it a quarter lap.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> because only one only only one side has the half laps. Gotcha. So it's it, the the one circle is set into the other circle because I wanted like a two different planes on it. Anyway, so uh, I think that's going to do it for this show. And we would like to thank everyone who left us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us out in search rankings. And, of course, we truly appreciate the feedback. So remember, this podcast is here to answer questions from you, the woodworking community. So if you do have questions you'd like answered, you can send us through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or DM us through Instagram at at woodshoplife. And uh, I can be reached at guyswoodshop.com. And where can you be found at, We?
1: can find me at alabamawoodworker.com. All the links to social media are there. Sean, where can we find you? At Simple Cove on Instagram, at Simple Cove
2: on YouTube, and at simplecove.com. Nice.
0: Anything else, Sean? Anywhere else I can find you
2: at? (laughs) At Simple Cove on Twitter, at Simple Cove on Facebook, but... Nobody uses Facebook anymore. All
0: right. All right. Well, real good. I'll uh, talk to you guys in a couple weeks. See you in a couple. See y'all later. Bye.